Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is, you know what today is. Today is Christmas. It's Wednesday, December 25th. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody listening out there. Uh, Let me just beat you to the punch. Before anybody decides to give me crap, Zach, why are you working on Christmas? Zach, it's Christmas. You should be resting. Please understand, man. I love my job. I love what I do. This is what makes me happy. It's what gives me joy. I just beg, you know, don't, I don't work at IHOP. I don't work at, I don't work at a gas station. I love my job and I want to do what I love to do on my, you know, on a great day of the year. Um, I mean, I just, please let me enjoy my life. I, I am happy. Um, and I got to say holidays are rough. You know, my brother died four years ago. My parents are divorced. I'm single. I live alone. Like just let me enjoy my life and do what I love to do on on Christmas. I want to record the show. I'm working. It's my favorite thing in the world. Um, and especially when I'm struggling, this is what gives me joy and excitement. So uh, please, none of the comments like, Zach, why are you working on Christmas? Because I'm having a blast and I love it. Um, I want to start today with this. Did anybody watch that Giants and Redskins game on Sunday? It was phenomenal. Uh, I, I don't blame me if you didn't watch. It was two, three, and 11 teams. The Redskins, the Giants, they're, you know, quote, terrible kind of. Uh, but man, I had a blast watching the silly football game. It was so much fun. You have two rookie quarterbacks. You had Daniel Jones for the Giants, Dwayne Haskins for the Redskins. And uh, the Giants ended up winning in overtime, 41 to 35. This is a wild, fun game. And uh, for me, it was all about these two rookie quarterbacks. I mean, look, it's cool to watch Adrian Peterson, the running back for the Redskins. Like you go, he's had so many highs and lows to his career. It's kind of unbelievable. He's still in the league. I love watching Saquon Barkley. He's phenomenal. He's so good that if you give him an inch, he will just make you pay and embarrass you. He's that kind of running back for the Giants. But for me, man, it was all about these two quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones. I actually want to start with Dwayne Haskins because his day was significantly shorter than Daniel Jones. Uh, look, he was playing phenomenal. He started the day 10 for 10 passing. Dwayne Haskins did. Um, he has taken such a big step forward since the first time I watched him play earlier this year. I think it was against the Giants, actually, it was his first game of the year. Um, he ran around a little bit. He did such a good job, Dwayne Haskins did, keeping his eyes downfield. He had a couple plays, he even had a touchdown on a play where he's running, he's extending the play. He has his eyes downfield, throws a touchdown pass. It was just awesome. He played a really clean, really good football game. I was really impressed. Um, and man, you know, here's the sad part is that in the beginning of the second half, the beginning of the third quarter, uh, Dwayne Haskins hurt his ankle, was out for the rest of the game. And I was disappointed because I just was enjoying watching this young quarterback develop and kind of flourish against a, a not so great Giants defense. I was like, man, this is so much fun. And so I was bummed. I loved watching him, but I am, I got to tell you, I'm really excited now more than ever to do a Daniel Jones, to do a, a Dwayne Haskins film analysis video and kind of track his progress and see and really tell the story of how much better Dwayne Haskins has got throughout the rest of this year. Of course, we'll do that when the year ends after week 17. Uh, now, once Dwayne Haskins was out of the game, for me, it became all about Daniel Jones, the Giants rookie quarterback. Like I know Case Keenum came in. I don't care about Case Keenum. He's an old veteran quarterback. I just had my eyes glued and my heart emotionally engaged. And I was rooting for Daniel Jones. I'll I'll shamelessly say I wanted Daniel Jones to win that game. It was so much fun to watch him. Um, You know, before when it was two rookie quarterbacks, I just kind of was a, you know, whoever wins, I just want both to do well. But with Daniel Jones, and I was like, man, this is great. I want to see him. He was phenomenal. Um, He was slinging the ball all over the place. Like really, I mean, they were aggressively throwing the ball everywhere where the Giants were. I was like, man, this is awesome. And uh, 
Daniel Jones made good decisions. He was accurate. He just is. I mean, I, I loved watching Daniel Jones play for the Giants on Sunday. He finished the day 28 for 42. He had 352 yards passing, five touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, it was a huge day. He had the game-winning touchdown in overtime. My gosh. And uh, not only is he big, and not only is he, he's really calm, he's good, he delivers in big, important moments. We've seen that multiple times this year in a big, key, clutch moment. It just doesn't seem too big for him. Daniel Jones has the poise and the confidence to enjoy the moment and succeed in that moment. But Daniel Jones still has room to grow and room to develop. I mean, it's so awesome. Neither defense, the Giants or the Redskins, really was that particularly great. Both these rookie quarterbacks took advantage of that. But you've got to also acknowledge both Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones played good football. I mean, it's not like they were just guys wide open. Yes, so a bad defense, what it does, if you're playing a bad defense in the NFL— they can still play. They're not awful. It just means that your margin for error is, is wider. You, know, you don't have to be quite as perfect with timing. You can throw the ball a little bit behind a receiver. If you're late, you're okay. If you throw the ball a little bit inaccurate, the guy's more wide open, so it doesn't matter as much. Your, your I guess, margin for error is wider. But you got to acknowledge, both quarterbacks played phenomenal. And because of that, Daniel Jones was great. That's why he had five touchdowns. But also because he played a bad defense, it also shows... Hey, some of those issues he has, his timing, his inaccuracy here, maybe poor footwork there, it's, it was masked a little bit because of that, the margin for error being wider. But those are little things Daniel Jones needs to work on. Overall, his decision-making is there. His poise is there. He is the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. And uh, I, I love it, man. It was so much fun. He was phenomenal on Sunday. Daniel Jones was against the Redskins. Um, you know, he had five touchdowns. He had the win in overtime. And uh, I, I wonder, did anybody see that video of Eli Manning and Daniel Jones partying at a bar with their teammates? It's really funny. They're in like, a, they're like dress clothes. They look like they belong on Madison Avenue in New York. But man, they like, they clearly, it seems like they like each other just from that video at the bar. And Daniel Jones has come a long way throughout the year. I don't, I don't know how he's going to play on Sunday, but if that's my lasting impression of the year for Daniel Jones is that five touchdown game, the victory in overtime. I, I mean, that's awesome. I can't wait to jump into the film for him and tell his story, his progression, as well as a rookie. Um, but I think it's pretty clear from that game, Daniel Jones has it. Whatever it is, Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the future. If there, I don't know how anybody doubted, but it seemed like there was a while where he had a great preseason, then he had a good first game, and then he tailed off for a little bit. That's what rookie quarterbacks do. Rookie quarterbacks are not perfect. They have moments where they don't look phenomenal all the time. I even I literally told you that months ago when I talked about Daniel Jones, I said he's going to have good moments and then he's going to also have some moments where he looks like a rookie. That's exactly what's happened this year. But Daniel Jones, man, his ceiling is there. His good moments are there. He just got to keep giving him time to develop. But he is the quarterback of the future. If there was any doubt in New York, Daniel Jones is the man. And uh, him and him and Dwayne Haskins, they're going to have battles for years, I believe, You know, in Washington, in New York, in that same division, battling against each other. It's going to be a fun rivalry. I can't wait to watch it. And uh, I just had such a blast. Like, I, I just watched that game about two hours ago, and I was like, man, this is just fun. It's fun football. It's good football. It's clean football. And it's two young teams that are getting better. And, uh, man, if the Redskins get a good coach, they're headed in the right direction. I don't know if Pat Shermer's the guy long-term in New York. He, like, I think a, a good example of Pat Shermer, the head coach in New York, his struggles is he's challenged seven plays this year. He's lost all seven. He just organizationally doesn't seem to have it quite there, but he's a good coordinator and a good quarterback coach. And a good, he, he clearly gets the offensive side. I just don't know that Pat Shermer understands all of the coaching responsibilities he needs to take care of. But man, 
the Giants have the right personnel there. They have good young players, a couple receivers. I love Saquon Barkley. Their offensive line's getting steadily better. They're going to get a high draft pick and another new player, plus they have their franchise quarterback. I feel really good about the Giants, and if the Redskins can get the right coach, it looks like Dwayne Haskins is the right quarterback in, in Washington. So both these franchises are poised to get better, and uh, it's going to be really fun to watch the Giants and the Redskins grow together as franchises with two competing quarterbacks in the same draft class. I just, man, I had such a blast, and uh, this game was kind of the highlight of the, the week for me. I was like, oh, man, it was so much fun to watch the Giants and the Redskins uh, play each other. I, I watched it later, I guess, today, but they played on Sunday, man. What a blast for those two franchises to have such a good game, and uh, you know, I look forward to more of those throughout the years. Now, we have to shift gears, though, to... Oh, man. Uh, Charlotte, I believe Charlotte, North Carolina. People are going to hate me. I have no idea where, North Car- where, where Charlotte is. I believe it's in North Carolina. Could be South Carolina. I don't think so, though. Hey, I'd love to go there. The beaches look amazing in South Carolina. Um, rookie quarterback Will Greer for the Carolina Panthers started his very first football game in the NFL on Sunday. And um, the result was bad. I mean, it just honestly, I want to be gentle here because he's a rookie quarterback. Um, I definitely saw things we need to talk about, and, and a lot of them are bad, from Will Greer on Sunday in his first start. But it is important to also say he's a rookie quarterback. He's a rookie quarterback. It's his first ever start. Uh, Dwayne Haskins looked really bad in his first ever game action in the NFL. I think it was against the Giants earlier this year. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. And the progression that Dwayne Haskins has made from his first action in the NFL to now is a gigantic leap forward. So maybe it's possible we'll see a leap forward like that from Will Greer, although you'll hear why I'm a lot more skeptical about Will Greer than I am about other quarterbacks I've talked about earlier this year. Um, you know, this was his first ever NFL start, but if I had to pick a word to describe, if I had to pick one word to describe Will Greer, the rookie quarterback's performance on Sunday, I would say the word is unimpressive. And that stinks. Uh, the Panthers lost 38 to six. That's not all his fault. You know, the, you know, it's a team game. A quarterback can't control the defense. A quarterback cannot control the fact that the man, I cannot believe the Colts returned not one, but two punts for touchdowns to two have to have two punt return touchdowns in one game. That's, that's really just a lack of, it's just, that's a bad look for the Panthers organization. But there are three really, really important things we need to discuss in relation to the future of Will Greer and what I saw on Sunday against the Colts. Number one is that, unfortunately, all of my concerns I talked about in the Will Greer film analysis from earlier this year, around the time of the NFL draft, I made a video with his film from West Virginia. And a lot of those issues he had in college are still very much there in the NFL. We saw them on display on Sunday. Uh, The biggest problem with Will Greer, honestly, is that he just has an average arm. And that makes people mad. They're like, well, his miles per hour velocity, none of that matters. Watch the tape. Um, he doesn't drive the ball downfield very well. And uh, at least on Sunday, his accuracy was all over the place. Will Greer was not a, a highly accurate, efficient quarterback that he needed to be uh, when he was throwing the ball downfield. And in college, Will Greer was not overly precise throwing deep balls. The way Will Greer succeeded, and he succeeded a lot throwing deep balls in college, was he relied on his receivers to make impressive catches. He threw up what we call a 50-50 ball, where there's a 50% chance the receiver gets it and a 50% chance that the defender makes the play. And uh, that doesn't work. A 50-50 ball as your main plan and your main source of 
getting passes vertically, that doesn't work long-term in the NFL. It's just not a, a successful strategy uh, and a successful approach to playing quarterback and throwing the ball vertically. So I, I, ooh, I'm really concerned because it continued again on Sunday. You know, Will Greer had three interceptions. Two of them were on deep balls where he just was not accurate enough. He either underthrew deep balls or he missed high or he missed to the left or he missed to the right. He wasn't overly precise. It's clear that what he did at West, uh, West Virginia, he'd catch the ball. And, and it's not clear from the film. It's clear, uh, not clear from, excuse me, it's not clear from Sunday. It's clear when you watch the film what he does. He would catch the ball. My receiver's going deep down the left sideline. I'm going to throw the ball up in that area. My guy's going to make the play. That lack of precision doesn't work in the NFL. He completed a lot of deep balls in college, but it's a, not the same approach you need to have in the NFL because he relied on his receivers a ton in college. I know I'm repeating the same thing. Now, the idea that Will Greer has this incredible deep ball is a myth. It's just not true. You can quote stats all you want. This is an example of where stats are misleading. Will Greer's deep ball and his accuracy vertically isn't what it needs to be to work in the NFL, at least come with what I saw in college and now what I've seen in one game on Sunday against the Colts, even though I do acknowledge. This is what people are going to say. They're like, well, Zach, remember that one deep ball he threw that one time against Texas to win the game? Yeah, Will Greer, if I had to pick probably the best deep ball of the year in college last year in 2018, it was the deep ball that Will Greer threw vertically into the back of the end zone against the Texas Longhorns. It was an incredible throw. But having one incredible throw on your resume doesn't mean that you consistently have a great deep ball. And Will Greer, I'm sorry to say this, and you can get mad at me if you want, Will Greer does not have a great deep ball. He's also really bad when he's extending plays. The other interception, his third, and I guess it was the first of the day, but that third interception we haven't talked about yet was a play where he was scrambling around and you know trying to extend the play and threw the ball downfield into coverage. And when you force a throw into coverage, the way Will Greer regularly does when he's scrambling, he throws a pick. And Will Greer is at his worst. His worst moments playing quarterback come when he's scrambling around and trying to throw the ball downfield and not just throwing the ball away or taking the defense gives him and running or whatever. There were a couple plays. He's better in the NFL than I, I saw in college where he did run a couple times. He did throw the ball away a couple times. But that one interception just brought me right back to West Virginia where multiple times he would run around, extend a play, force the ball downfield and throw a, a bad, ugly interception into coverage. It's not great. I, I am not encouraged about Will Greer at all from where I sit. Now, I got to say, not everything was Will Greer's fault. You know, he was also, he, first of all, he's missing his best receiver. Uh, DJ Moore got a concussion early on in the game. DJ Moore would have been a really uh, helpful target to have for throwing those deep balls because guess what? He can win those one-on-one matchups uh, that Will Greer so desperately needed. And uh, Will Greer was sacked five times. The Panthers' offensive line struggled. They missed some assignments. But on the day, Will Greer was 27 for 44 passing. 27 completions, 44 attempts. He had 224 yards passing, no touchdowns. Those three interceptions were there. And the reality is, the sad reality, is that the majority of Will Greer's completions came on checkdowns to the Panthers running back, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey had 15 catches for 119 yards. So many checkdowns, so many little dink dunk throws underneath. And for context, the, sa- the second leading receiver for the Carolina Panthers had three catches. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey had 12 catches more than the next guy on the roster. 
He's just getting check down after check down after check down. Will Greer's not really doing a great job throwing the ball downfield successfully. He had one good throw to Greg Olson down the middle of the field that Greg Olson actually ironically dropped, so it was kind of a waste of a good, accurate throw. Um, but overall, again, that word I want to talk about with Will Greer, Will Greer was not impressive. And I don't like saying that. He seems like a good guy. I follow him on social media. He's awesome. His family's cool. His dad's a great legendary coach. And I want to credit him. Will Greer showed discipline a couple times where he was scrambling and just threw the ball away instead of forcing it. It's, that's progression. That's a little bit better. But the biggest issue with Will Greer moving forward is his physical limitations. He just doesn't have a great, outstanding NFL arm. You know, he's going to play on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. Um, and I have an open mind. I hope he's great. I hope he's phenomenal. I hope everything I said, he just flips the script and plays better this week. I really, I'm rooting for Will Greer. I have nothing against him. But the sad, harsh reality is that when it comes to arm talent, Will Greer is far more like a backup in the NFL than a franchise quarterback. And time will tell. But still, currently, I am really, really low on Will Greer. It's not hard to spot physical talent and physical ability. I watched the very first game that Drew Locke played in the NFL, and I went, oh, wow, that guy has the arm. That's exactly what you need. You can just tell. Watch the film. And, and look, forget the stats. I know that Drew Locke's first start for the Denver Broncos, he was really statistically impressive. But forget the stats. Watch the way the ball comes out of his hand. Watch he had a deep ball down the left sideline where highly accurate into a really small window Will Greer isn't capable of making that throw that Drew Locke makes so easily. It's just clear Will Greer's arm did not impress me, and he's got the arm of a backup quarterback, if that. And he just was completely unimpressive in his first NFL start. He's not overly accurate. He doesn't drive the ball well downfield. I don't feel good about Will Greer at all moving forward. I hope I'm wrong. I do. Time will tell. Maybe I'm the idiot here. I, I just What I see is not a franchise quarterback from Will Greer I think, sadly, Carolina Panthers fans know that. Some will defend it. No matter what I say, people get mad at me. Um, but from, it's only off one game, and it's not fair to judge a quarterback off one game. Again, I'll give it time. I'm going to be patient. Give it room to breathe. But from, from where I sit today, my prediction is Will Greer is not going to be a franchise quarterback, and it's not going to work if you try to build around him in the NFL. Okay, uh, now here's another Debbie Downer of a topic. Um, oh man, uh, a month ago, Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback, had two really good games in a row. He played really well against the Detroit Lions. Uh, that was on, I believe, on Thanksgiving, I think. And then he played really well. It was on Thanksgiving. Then he played really well against the Dallas Cowboys the following week. And uh, look, he was moving around really well. He was accurate enough. He was making solid decisions. And it felt like in those two games, those two weeks in a row, I was like, oh maybe Mitchell Trubisky's making progress. Maybe, maybe this could work. If he keeps playing this way, and it made me pause for a while and go, okay, have I been wrong about Mitchell Trubisky? Is Mitchell Trubisky getting better? Is there a chance he works long-term in the NFL? I don't know. But if he keeps playing this way, I'm going to have to eat my words. However, this is what stinks. The thing was, Mitchell Trubisky needed to keep that up. He needed to consistently play that way. He raised the expectation Mitchell Trubisky showed us what he's capable of. He's got good ability in there. If he can play that way, the problem is, since those two games, we haven't seen that same Mitchell Trubisky. He suddenly disappeared again and went back down to normal. He had a, a, a high you know, spike in play, but he's back down to where he normally is. 
And you know what's really funny to me is that in those two games where he played great, guess what his team did? His team won! Because it's kind of important for your starting quarterback to play well if you want to win games in the NFL. And uh, in the last two weeks, as Mitchell Trubisky's come back down to earth and not played as well, not been as accurate, not run the ball around, not run as well, not run as much, not made as good of decisions. What has happened to the Bears? Oh, they've lost. The Bears have lost now two games in a row. They lost to the Packers last week. They just lost to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. Mitchell Trubisky's back down to earth and back down to playing like his normal, mediocre self. On Sunday against the Chiefs, he was 18 for 34 passing. He had only 157 yards passing, no touchdowns. Hey, no interceptions. That's good, I guess. But when you're just not accurate, it doesn't matter anyways. Uh, The Bears got to move on. The Bears have to walk away. At this point, it's becoming, you ever seen that couple that, you know, they go on like, I mean, I've been in the situation. You go on a date, you're like five dates in. And about by by the time you get to like the fifth date, you're like, okay, this is not going to work long term. We have too many, there's too many red flags and she's too many deal breakers. And she has too many things I hate about her and too many things she hates about me. It's just long term, this isn't going to work. And then you just, you don't end it. You just keep hanging out, even though you know that there's no future here. That's what's happening with the Bears. They're just like that couple that's afraid to break up that ends up dating for an entire year when it really should have just been a two-month relationship. The Bears got to own up and admit they made a mistake. Mitchell Trubisky's not the guy. He misses routine plays. He, you know, simple throws to open receivers, he misses all the time. Mitchell Trubisky's not capable of playing well enough for them to consistently win. He's not consistent enough for them to win all the time. It's just not going to happen. And he's got to use his legs more. It was so weird to me. On the first drive against his Kansas City Chiefs, Mitchell Trubisky ran the ball five times. Five times. And it was like, okay, it's, he's moving the ball. There was a third and five where he ran for eight yards. I was like, this is, this is awesome. We got to see this more from Mitch. And, you know, after running five times on the first drive, how many carries do you think he finished the game with? When the game was over, he only had run the ball six times, which means after that first drive, he only ran the ball one more time. And it's not like these were designed runs. I mean, this is Mitchell Trubisky... Extending a play, keeping a play alive, using his legs is a huge deal. And if he doesn't do it, it doesn't matter. That tool is invaluable and uh, it's not useful if he doesn't use it. And man, it's killing me how regularly Trubisky's just, he'll have guys open deep and he's inaccurate. He'll miss a throw. The Bears got to move on. It's not working. They got to own it. They got to admit the mistake. The Bears drafted the wrong guy and your failure is embarrassing. And the Bears got to own the embarrassing failure that they just drafted. They could have had Deshaun Watson. They could have had Patrick Mahomes. They didn't draft either of them. They drafted Mitchell Trubisky, a guy who doesn't seem to have it emotionally and mentally to like have the gusto to, and the confidence to get going. And he just, it's not working. It's just not going to happen. And you got to cut bait as soon as possible. I know, I know people that know Mitchell Trubisky that have met him and they say he's a nice guy and being a nice guy is awesome. And I mean, no offense, but being a nice guy doesn't make you a good quarterback. He's not a good quarterback. In fact, he's the problem. And it stinks. Everything I'm saying is really harsh, but it's reality. Mitchell Trubisky's not good enough. He's had plenty of opportunities. We've been waiting, we've been waiting, we've been waiting. And the Bears are too good to be wasted with a bad quarterback. Mitchell Trubisky simply isn't good enough, and it's time for the Bears to move on. I'm going to drink some water. Uh, man, Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, whatever the heck you celebrate. Happy holidays. I don't care. You know, I just say what I believe and who I am, and um, I'm having so much fun. I just, 
What time is it? It's uh, it's eight thirty in the morning on Christmas morning. That's just awesome. I'm gonna go to my you know family parents' house. It's, I guess my best friend's family's house after this for breakfast. I used to live there with them in their basement. That's where Strong Opinion Sports actually started. Was in their basement, which is amazing. Going back there for Christmas dinner. Gonna upload from there. Um, I want to shift gears now to the Seattle Seahawks. As a franchise, right now, the Seattle Seahawks are in a really, really interesting moment in time. They're in an interesting situation. They're being tested. On Sunday, the Seahawks had a really bad loss at home against the Arizona Cardinals. They lost at home 27-13 to to the Cardinals. And uh, the Seahawks looked bad. They, they did not play well, and they've just been decimated by injuries. First of all, Russell Wilson was 16 for 31 passing. That's a 51% completion percentage he only had 169 yards passing which is he's an MVP candidate that can't happen that's just horrible he had one touchdown he was sacked five times the dude was running for his life his receivers didn't help him out they really they're clearly missing Josh Gordon who just got suspended indefinitely um and here's the worst part is that both of the Seahawks running backs you know their number one running back and their number two running back are injured and they're they might miss both of them might miss the rest of the year Chris Carson um, had a hip injury on Sunday. He is that's possibly season ending. And then the other running back, CJ Procise, broke his arm. He's out for the year. He's already out for the year. Not to mention, you think about it. Okay, not not only are those two running backs hurt, they also lost Rashad Penny earlier in the year, week fourteen, for the rest of the year. So, man, they are decimated at the running back position. And it's not even just at the running back position. The Seattle Seahawks offensive line. They're missing Dwayne Brown, their left tackle. Their their left tackle they traded for, who's really good. He's injured. He's getting surgery. And it, that's not an offensive line that can afford to get worse. They're already really bad. They lost their they lost three running backs. They lost their offensive one of their, you know, really their best offensive linemen. They lost Josh Gordon. He got suspended indefinitely for substance use. And um, man, there are so many things working against the Seattle Seahawks right now. It's just if you're a Seahawks fan, I was talking to someone last night, it's probably discouraging. Like, I, man, it's not a good spot to be. For the Seattle Seahawks. But call me crazy. And you can if you want. A lot of people have. Um, I actually think the Seahawks are going to be okay. I mean, I just watched the Packers and the Vikings. That's the first thing I did you know, right after, or right before recording. The Vikings are in bad shape. I think the Seahawks are in better shape than the Vikings right now. And there's a couple of reasons why I think the Seahawks are going to be okay. Number one is that that loss to the Cardinals was the lowest point of the year for them. It's one of those moments that, you know, life knocks you down and it's a wake-up call. It's huge for you to go, oh, wow, I, I really got to gather myself and get myself together. And every once in a while you have a loss where, you know, life knocks you down and you go, oh, I am a, a train wreck. I got to figure that, I, I got to solve my problems. And every once in a while you see a loss that actually helps a football team. There's a, it's in a moment of adversity that kind of sparks and rallies the, the, the football team. The best example I can think of is that last year, the New Orleans Saints lost in November to the Dallas Cowboys. They lost, I think it was, oh, uh, I believe, uh, you look it up. I'm curious if I'm right. I believe the New Orleans Saints lost 13 to 10, and I, I believe the game was in Dallas. But what I do remember is that this was a game that just exposed a lot of the Saints' issues. It was like, oh my gosh, we have this problem, this problem, this problem, and it made them look glaring. And I had something in life that happened to me recently where it's very similar. You go, oh my gosh, I got to solve this problem and this problem and this problem because clearly I don't have my stuff together as much as I thought. But in those moments of really low adversity, it also can be a rallying point that helps you, okay, I know what I got to do. 
I got to solve those problems. And that's what happened with the Saints last year. They should have gone to the Super Bowl. They got robbed by a bad pass interference call. But the Saints solved those mistakes because that loss to the Cowboys made it clear to them, hey, we got to solve this problem, this problem, this problem. I think the loss to the Cardinals on Sunday is similar for the Seattle Seahawks. They're more aware of their issues. It's a rallying point for them. And I think in some ways it's going to be liberating for Seattle. No, on Sunday, the Seahawks play the San Francisco 49ers at home in Seattle. And the winner not only wins the NFC West division, the winner has a chance. The 49ers, if they win, they get home field advantage in the playoffs. If the Seahawks win and beat the 49ers on Sunday, they have an opportunity based on what happens to the Saints and the Packers to get home field advantage in the playoffs as well. But nobody expects the Seattle Seahawks to beat the 49ers on Sunday. Not with this many injuries. Not with, I'll tell you, there's a story in a minute we'll talk about that makes it even more unlikely. But I'm sure people, I'm sure there are some people in the world that give the Seahawks a shot because they have Russell Wilson, they have a good coach, and they do have great leadership, man. They have a head coach, Pete Carroll, quarterback, Russell Wilson. But I do think that being the underdog and being free to be the underdog actually puts teams playing Seattle in a scary place. You don't want to play the Seattle Seahawks with an underdog mentality, which is what they're going to have the rest of this year because of what they've been going through as a football team. And then there's this one more huge detail i got to tell you about. Uh, you, I'm sure if you follow football at all, you know what happened. It's pretty cool. The Seattle Seahawks just brought back Marshawn Lynch, their longtime running back, out of retirement. And it's so crazy, like, Literally a week ago, at the, I don't know if it was a week ago or two weeks ago now, but I just saw a video the other day of Marshawn Lynch handing out shots at the Oakland Raiders' final home game in Oakland. And it's like, that same crazy man who was giving out tequila shots, I think it was tequila, giving out tequila shots is now about to play in the NFL. Like, <laughs> what? In the playoffs for the Seattle Seahawks. That's unbelievable. It's so cool to me. And I'm not sure how great... Marshall Lynch is going to be. I, 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 people say he's been keeping in shape. I, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, I think it's possible Marshall Lynch actually comes back fresh because his body is not bruised and beaten down. He might actually be more prepared to play than people might expect from him. But I think the biggest contribution that Marshall Lynch is going to bring to the Seattle Seahawks the rest of this year is an emotional lift to his teammates. And, and it's this motivating attitude of, I'm Marshawn Lynch and we have unfinished business. I'm going to eat Skittles and I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to run through a brick wall and I'm going to have a sugar high doing it. It's going to be awesome. This is this like this attitude of like, let's go. We have unfinished business in Seattle. That's the sense I get from Marshawn Lynch. I really, I liked his interview the other day. He doesn't care about the media even a little bit. He said like, he said, Merry New Year, something else. And then like said, have a great day and walked away. It was like 12 seconds. He doesn't care. Marshall Lynch, find him, do whatever you want to him. He's there for one mission. He wants to play football. He wants to win. That's a really good presence for Seattle, especially with now they're down and out, and they got this mercenary coming in, this Marshall Lynch guy who's awesome and has this great attitude and great leadership quality to lead by example and to say, no, none of that, none of that. I'm too old to deal with all this nonsense. Let's get to work, and let's go in some football games. I would not count out Seahawks just yet. They have great leadership, and because of their struggles recently, they now have the freedom to play as underdogs. And that puts any team that has to play against Seattle in a scary position. You don't want to play the Seattle Seahawks with an underdog mentality and a beast mode Marshawn Lynch mentality of, we're going to eat Skittles and punch you in the mouth. I mean, that is awesome. And I would not count 
the Seattle Seahawks out just yet. They're going to be, they're going into the playoffs and they're going to have a hard road ahead. But I would not count out the Seattle Seahawks. All right. Um, on Monday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers beat the Minnesota Vikings 23-10. to And I don't have a lot to say about this game. It was actually a very disappointing football game. Um, it never felt like the epic battle that I wanted it to be. I was really excited for this game, and I watched it, and it was just kind of deflating. Uh, the Vikings offense was terrible. The Minnesota Vikings offense was horrendous. And by the way, Kirk Cousins, this is really irrelevant to how good or bad he is. It's just horrifyingly scary. He's 0-9 on Monday Night Football all time. That's the worst ever in NFL history, and that's terrible that you're that bad in big moments. Um, And look, the Packers were not amazing either. The Packers had three turnovers. The Packers fumbled twice. Aaron Rodgers had a really bad interception. It was just a bad decision. But forget the Packers for a minute. The fact that the Vikings couldn't capitalize on the Packers' mistakes is a really, really huge concern. I mean, the Vikings literally started a drive. They started one of their drives first and goal on like the 9 or 10-yard line, and they couldn't punch it in. They had to kick a field goal. And they were handed, the Vikings were handed opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they couldn't make it happen. And this game was really the Packers' season in a nutshell. This is what the Packers did. Aaron Rodgers was okay, but the defense carried them, and Aaron Jones, the running back, had two touchdowns and 154 yards. Aaron Jones was great. The defense was great. Aaron Rodgers was average, and the Packers found another, again, a game where they needed to find a way to win. And consistently, the Packers this year have found a way to win ugly football games. But man, forget the Packers. I think the Packers are okay. They're better than people realize because, again, they do find those ways. They just win. It doesn't matter how. They always find a way to win. But I am concerned about the Minnesota Vikings. They're a playoff team. They're they're clinched a playoff spot. They're going to play somebody. And I, I think they're going to lose wild card weekend. They might even lose to a team like the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles. The, the Vikings are likely to lose in the first round of the playoffs. And you can say part of why the Vikings offense was so bad on Sunday, or I guess on Monday night, was because they were missing their running back, Dalvin Cook. And you can say that if you want, but Dalvin Cook, his lack of being there and lack of playing was not the issue for the Vikings offense. The Vikings problem was Kirk Cousins was bad. Uh, Kirk Cousins was sacked five times. The offensive line was bad, too. They were missing assignments. Um, But even when Kirk Cousins had time to throw, he still didn't play his best anyway. And so the Vikings are a 10-5. They'll they'll probably be 11-5 as a wildcard team. They play the Bears this week, and I'm I'm confident that I think... I mean, the, the Vikings better beat the Bears. Trubisky's terrible. And the Vikings might be able to give... The Seattle Seahawks is a good game, if Dal- especially if Dal- I don't know if Dalvin Cook is going to be back or not. And they could beat the Cowboys or the Eagles, but if the Vikings have to play a team like the New Orleans Saints or the San Francisco 49ers, it's over. It's awful. They're going to get decimated and destroyed. They'll get killed. Their offensive line can't stop. Can you imagine the 49ers defensive line against what we saw on Monday night, the Vikings offensive line? If the Packers make them look that bad, what would happen when you play like five first-round picks? Is that how many they have? in San Francisco on their defensive line, it'd be terrible. The Vikings don't look ready. They're a mess. And I am very, very concerned about the Minnesota Vikings heading into the playoffs. They don't look organized. Their quarterback is not good in big moments. It's Look, your running back was not playing, but he shouldn't have that big of an impact. The running back doesn't play offensive line. The running back isn't pass blocking. And having Dalvin Cook 
out was not the problem. The problem was Kirk Cousins was bad when he had time, and he often didn't have time because the Vikings' offensive line was awful. And the Vikings, again, could not capitalize on the Packers' mistakes. It's a huge red flag. I'm really concerned. And I, I mean, the, the Vikings, in my mind, they're out. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. They're probably going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. And if they play a team like the 49ers, they are toast. Okay, by the way, um, the Raiders are 7-8, and eight, but they actually have an opportunity to make it into the playoffs. They still do, and it's wild. It's one of my favorite storylines we get to track and follow going into this weekend. Uh, there are five things that need to happen in order for the Oakland Raiders, for the last time that ever the Oakland Raiders, that the Raiders can make it into the playoffs. There are five things that have to happen. Number one, the Raiders need to win. They're going to play the Broncos in Denver. That's... You know, that's not easy. It's a possible game you can win, but it's not easy. So at first, the Raiders got to win. Number two, the Raiders need the Titans to lose against the, uh, excuse me, the tight, the, they need the Titans to lose against the Houston Texans. That's number two. Number three, the Raiders need the Steelers to lose to the Ravens. They need number four, the Jaguars to lose to the Colts. And then number five, the Raiders need to beat the Steelers on strength of victory. What the heck is strength of victory? I had to look it up. I figured it out. Uh, It means that if you add up the winning percentages of all the teams you beat, uh, then whatever team has, you you play these eight teams, we play these eight teams, whatever teams you beat have a higher winning percentage, that is the strength of victory calculation. It's what they do when they have no other way to do it. You're like, you you won this many games, and and it's so similar here, here, here. It would mean that the Raiders had a, in theory, tougher schedule. They beat better opponents than the Steelers did, even though they have the same record at the end of the year. And in order for all that to happen, in order for the Raiders to end up with a stronger strength of schedule or strength of victory against the Steelers, the Raiders just need one of the following teams to either win or tie. If the Bears or the Lions or the Chargers or the Patriots, if one of those four teams win or tie, then the Raiders win the strength of victory claim against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the only way that the Raiders don't win the strength of victory thing is if all four of those teams, the Bears, the Lions, the Chargers, or the Patriots, if they all lose, then the Raiders can't make it into the playoffs. It's not possible. So in all, you know, while a lot of things need to happen, it's actually all things that could actually potentially really happen. The Raiders are have a, I think, a high percentage. Not a high is not the right word, but a, a very possible chance to get into the playoffs. Again, the Raiders need to win and beat the Broncos. They need the Texans to beat the Titans. They need the Ravens to beat the Steelers. They need the Colts to beat the Jaguars. And then they need at least one of those four teams to win or tie, the Bears, the Lions, the Chargers, or the Patriots. That is how the Raiders can make it into the playoffs. That makes me so excited. It's going to be so fun to follow that and watch that. And if you're sitting at home this weekend on, on your phone, just scroll like, oh, the, uh, the Jaguars lost to the Colts. That's one of the, one of the five things that need to happen. Oh, uh... The Ravens beat the Steelers. That's another thing. You can just track that storyline. It'll be really fun. And I don't know. Will the Raiders make it into the playoffs? I think that'd be wild. It'd be certainly really cool for John Gruden, that quarterback, you know, that coach who got a 10-year contract, $100 million. And people are like, you're insane. He can't coach to make it into the playoffs this way. This early into his stint with the Raiders would be really, really cool, especially given the expectations people had going into the season. So, um, man, I... I'm going to root for the Raiders. I'd love to see them make the playoffs. That'd be just fun and wild and chaotic. And so uh, if you're at home this weekend, track that storyline. Will the Raiders make it into the playoffs? All right. Um, oh, this is going to be interesting. 
all the time, constantly, I get comments from people saying, Zach, you're just a Patriots fan. You're a closeted Patriots fan. Just admit it. And I'm, I'm not a Patriots fan. I, I would tell you if I was. I have nothing to hide. I think the only way that this show works is because I'm honest. Um, now, I do not root for the Patriots. Here's where I think people get confused and, and really think that I am a Patriots fan. When someone is successful, you have to pick a side. Do you respect their success or do you hate them? Uh, a friend of mine owns a business. He's very successful. I look up to him. He's a good business owner. He's, he's very wealthy. I'm like, hey, that's really cool. I'd love to copy what you do. That's awesome. I, I look up to him and admire his success. I feel the same way about Tom Brady and the Patriots. I respect a well-run organization. And, you know, to have you know, the Patriots have had a dominating run in the last decade, in, you know, two decades. What is it? Last 20 years in the NFL, the Patriots have been just dominating. We've never seen anything like it. We're never going to see anything like that ever again in the NFL. And, you know, some dominating, we, we've seen a little bit of dominating sports. We saw the 90s Bulls. We saw Tiger Woods. We, we've now seen the Belichick, Brady, Patriots. I respect longevity and success. Success is hard. And then being successful for a long time, like strongman in sports has been around for two years. It's really only succeeded for like the last eight months. I got a long way to go to really prove that I can keep this going forever and for a long time. Um, you got to respect success that is sustaining for a long, long time. I just, I, I find it hard not to respect what the New England Patriots do. I'm not a Patriots fan. I don't have a favorite team. I don't care. I, I really, I'm very happy to not have a favorite team. I don't want a favorite team, but I like personal stories. You know, my favorite story in the NFL right now is Gardner Minshew. He's, I, I love him. I root for Gardner Minshew. I'm a Gardner Minshew fan. I don't care if the Jacksonville Jaguars win or lose. I want Gardner Minshew to succeed. And if Gardner Minshew left the Jaguars, I'm not a Jaguars fan. I root for Gardner Minshew. If he goes to the Saints or the Chargers or wherever, the Bears, I become a, a guy rooting for that team because I root for Gardner Minshew, not for the team he plays for. Does that make sense? So Tom Brady's my favorite player of all time. I can acknowledge that. I can own that. I'm a fan of Tom Brady. Shame on me. I'm sorry. But I find Tom Brady's story really moving and cool to me. You know, he's a sixth overall, a sixth round pick, completely overlooked, unwanted. Nobody wanted Tom Brady. And he becomes insanely successful. And he's become insanely successful and done it for a long time. 20 years in the NFL. He's also not extremely talented. I have a lisp. Look at look at look at my face. I'm not the most attractive guy in the world. I have a lisp. How in the world could I succeed in sports radio? I work my butt off. I find that incredibly inspiring that Tom Brady isn't the fastest. He's not the strongest. He doesn't have the best arm, but he's the most successful long-term because he did the work. When I see someone who works despite their limitations and succeeds anyway, I go, that's awesome. And I have limitations. I'm not a perfect broadcaster, but I try to work really hard and do the best I can. So when I see Tom Brady succeed in spite of himself, it's inspiring. It is. I can own that I love Tom Brady. I'm a Tom Brady fan. His story, I like his swagger. I think he's, he plays a really efficient style of football. He maxes out his potential. I just, I really like Tom Brady. And so I root for Tom Brady, but I'm not a Patriots fan. And it, it's disheartening, honestly, that I keep having to say this. You know, this year I've been watching Tom Brady and I've been so frustrated. Um, you know, I, I keep saying Tom Brady hasn't been given the tools he needs to succeed as a quarterback. He's got a bad offensive line, a crappy running game, no legit tight end, receivers that on the outside cannot win one-on-one -on -one matchups and regularly run the wrong routes and miss signals. Philip Dorsett is just a waste of space for the New England Patriots. And I, I think Tom Brady should leave. 
If I'm Tom Brady, I'm like, I'm out. I am going to here. You know, we were talking at dinner last night, my dad and I. Tom Brady should go to the Colts. I would love to see Tom Brady with the Colts. Have a good offensive line. T.Y. Hilton, a Jack Doyle, tight end, a good running game. It'd be awesome. Now it's a shame that it's not really possible for Tom Brady to go to the Colts because in August earlier this year in 2019, Tom Brady signed an extension with the Patriots. He's on an under contract with the Patriots for the 2020 year and for the 2021 season. So Tom Brady's not going anywhere. But if it was possible, I have no loyalty to the Patriots. I would love to see Tom Brady go to the Colts and win. And how cool would it be to see Tom Brady do well in Peyton Manning's old city, wearing Peyton Manning's old uniform, like, you know, that same blue. Like, that'd be cool. It'd be awesome and wild. And then the Colts could draft Jordan Love and let him sit behind Tom Brady for two years and then, you know, develop him when Tom Brady's done in two years moving Jordan Love. It's an ideal fit. Now, none of this is possible again because Tom Brady's stuck under contract in New England, but I don't think New England is the best spot for Tom Brady and drives me nuts. So never again call me a Patriots fan. I don't, like, I respect the Patriots. And if you're a Patriots fan, good for you. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I root for people, not teams. And so I want to be very, very clear. I hope Tom Brady leaves. I hope he gets better help. I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I can own my fandom. I'm a fan of Tom Brady, but I'm not a Patriots fan. Uh, and because I've defended it so hard, like no matter what I say, people are going to hate me or be mad at me or find a way to argue with me or you're lying. Like I'm not lying. I have no, I don't care. I tell you about my whole life. I tell you about my, my breakup, this, that my brother died. I have, I'm literally like the most transparent. I feel like sometimes I live in, never seen like hamsters at Petco where like they, they just, they like do everything in front of the world. The world's always watching. I, I'm kind of like that, and I do it by choice because I think it's important for me to be honest with you guys and very transparent. I have nothing to hide. I am not a Patriots fan, and the comments are starting to irritate me. I'm just not. I love Tom Brady, and I respect the Patriots, but I don't root for them to win games. I don't have a favorite team, um, and uh, like the fact that I've defended it so hard, again, some people are just going to not believe me no matter what I say, um, but hey, I'm not. Congratulations, I guess. Um, I, I really love Tom Brady. He's my favorite player of all time. I find him incredibly inspiring. His story is really cool. His longevity is cool. The way he plays is cool to me. Um, I like Tom Brady, but I'm a Tom Brady fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan, not a Patriots fan. Okay, here's how we're going to end the show today. It's Christmas. It's a, dude, it's a hard day. I, oh man, I, I'm struggling, man. I'm I'm just not in a good place. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm really trying hard to, gather myself and get back on track. And I'm, I have better days than others. Some days are great. Some days are not great. And when I'm really not doing well, I go to my best friend's house. Um, I hang out with his family. They're amazing. I have a lot of people in my life that are awesome. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Don't suffer alone. Don't suffer in silence. Be willing to talk about your struggles. I try the best I can to be a good example of how to deal with mental health and how to relate positively and relate the right way to struggling. I'm honest about it. And when I'm struggling... I go hang out with my friends. I go talk to them. I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help and don't be afraid to talk about your problems. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. That is a suicide hotline. Four years ago, about four years ago, February 8, 2016, my younger brother took his life. He committed suicide. And it was brutal. It was awful. It makes Christmas really hard. His birthday was December 14th. It's very difficult for me around the holiday time because I miss, I, I want to see my brother and I can't. He's gone because he didn't, talked to anybody about his struggles. One day, I walked into his bedroom, found him dead on the floor. No idea he was struggling. Him and I played Halo together once a week. Never told me he was having a hard time about anything. 
Part of that's on him. I really wish he'd talk to me about his struggles. Part of that's on me. I should have done a better job saying, hey, Zane, I love you. I'm here for you. I care about you. And if you're having a hard time, you can talk to me. And I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my brother he could have conversations with me. We played Halo once a week. We worked together. I saw him all the time. We went to school together. And yet still, I guess, not at that time. I was out of high school when he died. Um, but I just didn't make it clear enough to my brother we could, we could talk if he needed it. And I just encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. And don't be afraid to have conversations with a little bit more depth than basketball or football or sports or video games or movies. It's okay to say, hey, man, I love you. I'm here for you. And how is your breakup? Or your parents got divorced. Are you okay, man? Don't be afraid to have conversations like that and go a little bit deeper than just the surface level conversations about the things we're passionate about and we enjoy. Um, I encourage you, man, if you're struggling, go get help. Hope you have a Merry Christmas. I, uh, we're about the 50-minute mark. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day as well. And uh, I'll see you back. I'm doing. I'm recording Ask Zach tomorrow on Thursday night. I'm going to record uh, the NHL and the NBA top. I got good stuff planned. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Just enjoy it when it comes out. But I hope you're having a great day. I hope you have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. And thank you so very much for tuning into Strong Opinion Sports. I hope you have a great day. Uh, ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are